It's Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. Uh, We're the publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 2070s.com and sagharborexpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is managing editor of the Express News Group. Hi, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Another great panel of local journalists to join us and talk about what's going on behind the headlines this week. Uh, We have a first timer this week, uh, our good friend, Ambrose Clancy, who is the editor of the Shelter Island Reporter. Hey, Ambrose. Hey, guys. uh, Good to be here. Welcome. Good to have you. Uh, Also back this week is Beth Young, who is editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. How are you? Hello. Good. Good to have you. And Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise, how are you this morning? Good morning. Doing great, thanks. How are you? Good. It's been a busy couple of weeks, no question. And we got plenty to talk about uh, today. Let's let's start by talking about um, the improving picture with vaccinations. It seems like uh, just in the last week uh, and really in the last couple of days, uh, we're starting to see some vaccine flowing to the East End in a way that we didn't before. Uh, and and that's been, Ambrose, you, you guys had a, a clinic on Shelter Island recently, right? It was one of these pop-up clinics, correct? Right, it was. It was, um, it was really a remarkable event. Um, the, the town board and the police department and Assemblyman Thiel were pushing to get a uh, point of distribution or a pod on Shelter Island. Um, and they really, really pushed hard on it. And they, they pushed it in a way that's interesting that where they were declaring that Shelter Island was a medical wasteland, which is a phrase. Uh, I don't know if Islanders took that the right way, but it was. that meant that the medical infrastructure of a place is very thin. There's a small medical center. There are two physicians. They have kind of uh, part-time hours on the island. And plus, to get on and off, you got to get on a boat. And there are, you know, more than a third of Islanders are 65 and over. So wow. this would be a real problem. Um, and they got it. And we, you know, Islanders thanked uh, Thiel, but also the town board for working at this. And it was this uh, remarkable event. It, it was like a light being switched on. And I've heard this from other people and read reports as well of, of these distribution, vaccine distribution centers. It's this celebratory, joyful kind of thing. And on the island, it ran like clockwork. Um, and there were 503 doses given out, and it was the Pfizer. And there will be, I think in two weeks, there'll be people will be back for their their second vaccine. So it was uh, one of the great days on Shelter Island since uh, I've been editor, which is eight or nine. Oh, years. that's terrific. Yeah, that's a great way, great way to great way to look at it. And Bill, we we've uh, been talking. You know, this is behind the headlines, and I think we can say that uh, there was a clinic yesterday in, in Southampton. There was uh, yesterday being Thursday. Uh, there's also one on Friday in East Hampton. And behind the headlines, I think we're hearing sort of quietly uh, off the record from folks that more vaccine now really is coming here, and more is expected in the next couple of weeks. It's it's a real sea change just in the last week or so, isn't it? It, it seems to be. It's, it's opening up, and especially with the new Johnson & Johnson vaccines, I think that you're going to see some of that out here, too. I know that, that right now the state is opening up some of its centers, like Aqueduct is going to be overnight with the Johnson & Johnson 
um, they're they're going to be going all through the night to to uh, to open that up. I, I think you know we we need to give Fred Thiel a lot of credit and and Peter Van Skoyek, I think in East Hampton as well. I think he pushed a month ago and was really pushing, um, and they got the the first shots at um, you know at the East Hampton Pod three weeks ago. They're doing the second shots this this week, and and I think you know I mean the squeaky wheel. I I think sometimes. We, we were, you know, everybody out here was feeling underserved. And I think that Fred made a big point of, of pushing for it, as did, as did um, you know, as did the East Hampton Town Supervisor. And now you're seeing the, the results of that. Yeah. Denise, I'm, I'm wondering. We've if got I'll... one today in Riverhead, actually, Friday. Um, the, the town at, a ta- at the town senior center, they got a thousand doses coming there. You there. Go. Shooting so people right now, actually. Um, I think that's, they, uh, you know, it's flowing in a couple of different directions. I, I'm curious up your way in Riverhead, uh, whether Northwell, uh, which owns Peconic Bay Medical Center, um, was really a partner uh, with the state on distribution from the start. And I wonder if that may have been a little more helpful for you guys. We uh, Stony Brook Southampton Hospital um, has been part of the distribution network, but really only for healthcare workers and, and uh, frontliners. I, I wonder if you had more access to vaccine up your way or, or if, there, no. if it didn't make uh, much of a difference. No, not base. really. Yeah, so far it's just been uh, the healthcare workers at, at the hospital and other healthcare workers I think they've reached out to after that. But, um, you know, the town supervisor here has really been pushing to get vaccines here, just like the other supervisors on the East End. And um, so they finally they finally got a shipment. Um, and she was telling me um, yesterday how, um, you know, everything was kind of like so last minute, like she's they had this plan. They submitted it to the state for the senior center, et cetera. And then, you know, the, uh, the, the night before last, they got in touch with her and or the, the date earlier that day and set the date but then they had to come and inspect it. So they didn't come and inspect it till the night before. So she really didn't know until the night before that this was actually, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. going to happen. And they had, I don't know what they did on like shelter Island and other places, but you know how the County is doing this pre-registration of people mm-hmm. so that because well, um, people are having a hard time navigating the ridiculous website. Um, and, and um, so they're doing that in Riverhead too. They started this pre-registration system. And then once they got word that they were actually going to have this, today um they then had to spend like all night calling calling people up to letting them know you know to but make that's, an appointment but that's so smart I, I like to see yeah. that happening because it's just, that should be how it's done right yeah, yeah. absolutely i mean just leaving it as yeah. the leaving the the vaccine to whoever has you know we've said it before whoever has the better you know wi-fi connection or, or better internet connections of getting the vaccine um, it, it should there should definitely be a list and, and the, the towns and the county and even the state should be going down that list and, and making sure that people. And, who and, and Fred Beal said that some time ago. He's like, yeah. you know, that, so. Um, yeah, Beth, I wonder I, I wonder if we might have if we might have learned some some lessons. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but the scramble to get vaccines has has and you know i think it's important to point out too that the hospitals denise sort of touched on this the hospitals are limited they can really only provide vaccine to frontline workers and people over 65 if if you're someone with comorbidities you have to actually travel to the to the state mass vaccination centers well, that, to get your shot it, and it didn't happen on the island that, though. There, were, there were people with comorbidities that that were 
Uh, they made exceptions there. And yeah. that's a, but see, this is part of the problem. And also, um, don't excuse it. It was also oh, sure. yeah. was handled, you know, registration. The whole thing was staffed through the town. It was all, um, again, with the senior citizen population, the, the town had volunteers taking phone calls around the clock because, you know, seniors trying to navigate the web. Um, is difficult. So it, it really was, uh, it was really well done. Yeah. Uh, South Hall did it the same way. They had a clinic. Yes. Uh, Thursday. Um, and they had uh, a thousand shots of the Pfizer vaccine. Stony Brook brought it out. Um, and yeah, Northwell was just doing, they were doing first responders and uh, frontline workers, not front uh, and uh, healthcare workers, but mm-hmm. South Hall town really ran the um, getting the word out on the South Hall site and it was just like what ha- what's happening in Riverhead now we had like two days maybe a day and a half notice um but they had a list in the supervisor's office and actually like the super the uh, community liaison in the supervisor's office was actually individually calling seniors in Southhold saying hey the vaccine's coming tomorrow hope hope you'll be in town you know see that's um, I feel like the the local like uh Southampton village mayor Jesse Warren's been really active in getting shots out to people and and Peter Van Skoyak in South in East Hampton town. I think people are rushing to fill the void, but that void is is to me, Beth, the 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 biggest thing we learned through this is that there was just no plan for how to yeah. get vaccine out quickly and efficiently to to everyone who who should be getting shots and, right now. And the really big problem that I that I've witnessed and people I've been talking to, it's like um, the way the state divided up which which facilities can distribute to which people. I mean, the demand was, from what I've heard, is the demand was all in the senior population. Like there were a lot of frontline workers who were younger, who maybe either already had it or they didn't feel like they were at risk. But the senior citizens were like, please give me this shot. And so many places wouldn't even vaccinate them. Like the first mm-hmm. clinic that East Hampton had, they couldn't vaccinate seniors. Um, and the, and the, the, supply to, letting them. The, the supply to the um, uh, pharmacies has just been like a trickle, you yeah. know, yeah. that's where they're supposed to be vaccinating the, the 65 and over. Um, Which is where I think a lot of people were looking. I think they were hoping. Yeah. And Ambrose, I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting because uh, you're right. Folks on Shelter Island really were uh, had uh, triple whammy against them. Uh, you know, you have the geography. You have they were older folks. Um, the access is an issue. It just uh, it's it's really terrific that they were able to get a, a pop up clinic set up on Shelter Island. And I imagine it. Did, how many doses did they give out? 503 which is a pretty pretty decent chunk of uh the population yeah and um islanders have uh, a chip on their shoulders and rightfully so a lot of times uh the last election um the town uh supervisor jerry siller along with uh, Fred Thiel, we're pushing for an in-person early voting site on the island, again, for the same reasons to have a pod. Um, The older population having to take ferries back and forth to get to an in-person early voting site, and it never happened. Uh, The Board of Elections uh, just shut it down. Um, so this happening with the vaccinations was, was great. There were, there were worries, uh, again, that Shelter Island is going to be overlooked in this and they weren't. So it was, it was all good in the end. So, so Denise, there's sort of a random nature 
to how you're able to get the vaccine so much. I mean, it's been compared to buying concert tickets in the old days where you just hoped that you were the person who got through at the right time. Um, what can, I still have people asking for advice. It seems to me that the state sites, the pharmacies, the towns and the hospitals are all places you need to keep an eye on online uh, and, and look for appointments. But there are, I, I, I had a friend who checked the hospital website in Southampton yesterday and got an appointment last night to get a shot. So it yeah. can happen, correct? It can. And uh, the important thing to know, which I had no idea, um, is that when you go to the state site, that am I, am I eligible site? Um, and you get to the page where they list all of the sites and you see that everything is booked except for the site in Potsdam. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've done this, but it's like every <laughs> yes. time I go. So you and I and most other people, maybe of a certain age, would say, oh, well, you know, but the 20-somethings, <laughs> they just keep clicking. It doesn't matter where they, they just click. And so my daughters discovered, and you know, I'm sure other people as well, but that I had no idea that when you click on make an appointment at Stony Brook, even though it says fully booked, guess what? You can actually make an appointment. You just, if it, if if it pops up and says, if it pops up and says no appointments, you just keep refreshing that page and yeah. eventually appointments pop up. Then the problem is for, for, for me anyway, you have to be able to type really fast. Yes. Because if you don't do that really quickly, then, you know, somebody gets it before you. So even when something pops up, um, but, you know, my daughter was able to get an appointment for herself because of her comorbidity. And she got one for me because of, let's say, um, my size. <laughs> and um, I'm going on Sunday to, to Stony Brook. I, I, brought, uh, I brought her there the other day. And uh, it was an amazing, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, uh, I, this whole thing has seemed less than um, like the well-oiled machine we would hope it to be. But it actually was when you got to the site. It was really yeah. like, like you said, like clockwork. I mean, they had this down. So yeah, I'm, I'm that was this, nice to see. I'm going this afternoon to Stony Brook, and I have to admit to being a little nervous about it. But I, it's it's encouraging to hear that that things um, that things went so smoothly for you. My wife and I went to Stony Brook too, Denise, and it was uh, it was great. It was just uh, really really efficient and. Um, I got the appointment by being on the phone for about five hours, just calling. Mm -hmm. back. Yeah, I, I've out. got I've got the sore arm today because I went to uh, Aqueduct uh, all the way. I got an appointment about a month ago. And uh, again, where, where you as go? you said, Aqueduct. This Pennsylvania Aqueduct? is hanging out. <laughs> Aqueduct is this is. Yeah, that's a, uh, there are a couple Aqueduct. of those words that I don't say very well, apparently. <laughs> but but it really, well, but. it really was uh, an efficient operation. And I, I think, Bill, one of the you mentioned the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I think the other game changer is that now I think it's at the Javits Center. Am I saying that correctly? Javits Center? Javits, is that, yeah. is that right? OK, thank you. Just Javits. double check it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are offering the Johnson and Johnson vaccine with overnight appointments for right. people who go back and forth from here to the city. Um, if you don't mind going sort of in the middle of the night, you can get an appointment relatively quickly, like within the next couple of days. So that's it. That's also a game changer. And it's one and done with that one. You don't need the second appointment. So if you're willing to make that trip in for, for one, then, then, then that's all you need to do. I think those and are going to be around here though. I also yeah. want to point out that um, something I think we all can miss, which is 
we've really gotten over the hurdle. Everybody wants the vaccine. And that that was a big hurdle coming into this. Most people I, you, you still see you still see a lot of, course. of criticism on social media. And, and it's, but like I think that. it is the exception. It's and nice. I think that getting people to, to buy into wanting to get the vaccine is is something we got past. Uh, a little, a little more easily than I thought we would, and and so now it's just a question of getting it into people's arms quickly and efficiently. So, yeah, I, my Jim, brother warned just, me. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, my brother warned me. I told my brother I was going to get the vaccination, and he, he warned me, you know, you're gonna you're gonna grow gills. So I said, well, you know, I live in a <laughs> beach community; those will probably be pretty helpful. So, anyway, this is the behind. lack of a plan. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Denise, please. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the lack of a plan, right? And um, since this is behind the headlines, I, you know, I've been told by numerous um, officials that there was the county had a plan, that every county had a plan for mass vaccination, and that it was filed with the state health department. And then, you know, we read the reports of state health department officials over the summer um, resigning and protest apparently about about the governor taking the plans that existed and just sort of, you know, kicking them to the curb and doing it himself, like having, you know, his COVID mm. response team doing it. And I don't have, have any of you ever seen the plan, like the county's plan. I, so I the governor wanted seen. to do it his way. How unlike, how yeah. unlike the governor. Yeah. How unlike, I mean, like that sounds good. And, and there were some resignations too, but I mean, I would really like to see that plan. I've asked these officials, okay, well, you know, do you have it? I mean, I'd like to know what was it? And um, I was just wondering if you guys had ever seen such an animal, but no foil. No, no. And, and I'll tell you, I think that with this response, the top down from Albany has been just remarkable that everybody locally has is sort of terrified about stepping on toes because of the chain of command that goes all the way to the governor's office. There's no question. And we've talked about this on the show in, in the last couple of weeks that I, that I think when, when you, when you deal with local officials, I think they are all, you know, very aware of the governor's involvement in this. And, and he is calling the shots, I think, pretty directly. It's coming straight from from his office and all we need, no question. So that's uh, this is behind the headlines. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton, also of the Express News Group. Our panelists today, Ambrose Clancy of the Shelter Island Reporter, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Uh, that's a nice segue into the next conversation, which is about Governor Cuomo, some of the troubles that he's having lately, and a little bit of a surprise perhaps to some folks this week that our U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin, who is a Republican, uh, said this week that he is exploring uh, a possible run for governor. Not really a shock because he spent the last few weeks uh, regularly attacking Governor Cuomo, which is something he's done in throughout this uh, this entire crisis, but uh, he really stepped up uh, the rhetoric recently. Denise, what's that? That's a surprise to me uh, in some some ways because uh, Lee Zeldin won re-election fairly easily in this last term, even though um, Donald Trump's victory in the region was, was sort of a 50, 50 victory. It really was split down the middle, but, uh, Lee Zeldin, a uh, very pro Trump Republican, uh, had a lot more votes than, than Donald Trump. He's more popular in the first district, I think. Uh, but I wonder if that will translate to the state level. 
I don't know. I mean, I spoke to Jesse Garcia, the Suffolk County Republican chairman over the weekend last weekend about that. Um, and because he first floated the idea in advance of Zeldin admitting that he was exploring it, although his aide told me that he was considering it. So, um, you know, I, Garcia thinks that he's got a shot. Garcia thinks, you know, he points to Pataki as a model. But, you know, Pataki was a very different uh a very different governor had a very different politics than Lee Zeldin and, um, and very know, different times very diff- <laughs> and, and very different times. And it seems pretty clear that if Zeldin is going to have a chance to, um, both get the nomination and then get elected, um, he's going to have to be able to pull in moderate votes, uh, moderate Republicans and, and say moderate to, I don't know, conservative Democrats. And, and do it without New York, you know, overcome New York City. And I don't know. I just I, that feels to me like a really big lift, like a heavy, a heavy lift there. Um, He's uh, no, I, I don't know. He's got no name recognition outside of, of yeah. Long Island. I mean, he's he's been on Fox News, Fox News, um, you know, commentator. So maybe there is some name recognition, but. But I don't see much. I, I, he was in Albany. Was he a senator or assemblyman before? He was a state, he was senator, a state senator, senator for two state terms. Senator. Yeah. So, he so, unseated yeah. Brian Foley, I think. Right. I think yeah. I think that what what Zeldin has, of course, is that base, that Trump base, which right. is you say what you will about it. It's amazingly motivated. I mean, right. these people are real foot soldiers um, and they go out to vote and they get other people out to vote. And Zeldin, I think, is probably looking at that and saying, you know, base in a lot of ways, that's what I can build from. I got that, but I can build from. He has some kind of environmental record that Islanders, Shelter Islanders, like um, he's got money to save Real Point, which is a small peninsula of land which protects uh, Cockles Harbor, which has businesses and residents around it. And it's been a big issue for Shelter Islanders. And Zeldin's been been really out front on it. And he got money to shore up this this harbor. So, um, and you know, Ambrose, we've, I wonder we've if had our translate to other kind of environmental uh, issues that people can get on board with. We've we've had our differences with uh, the representative for sure, uh, significant differences. But I think I think I I think we can acknowledge that his constituent services are pretty strong, and and he does have a pretty sizable uh, presence locally on local issues. He he keeps an eye out. Beth, do, particularly, do you, I just want to say particularly with with you know, with the police unions and and with that absolutely um, absolutely you know, with the vets. I don't know how he translates that to the state. That's where I was going to go with you, Beth, is is do do you think I think that's why he he won reelection just recently so comfortably. And there was talk that he was getting ready to start his reelection campaign for two years from now already. Uh, But but it it doesn't I don't know that that is going to translate, although it may be notable that the first place we heard this possibility of him running uh, for governor was Fox News about a week and a half before he made the announcement. So right. uh, I think maybe that's the the plan is that they're counting on, uh, as Ambrose said, that base. What, do you think, do you think there's enough of that in New York state though? Well, his base is so Brookhaven centric, Brookhaven township centric. And, you know, it, it's been such a boon for him in Congress because, because the population density there is, is so much higher than most other places in his district. And uh, 
And that's a very local thing. Like, you know, everyone in Mastic knows who he is. Everyone in Shirley knows who he is. Everyone in Brookhaven Hamlet knows who he is. But that's a small part of the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, you get, you know, you get Donald Trump at one, you know, one fundraiser and, um, you know, and that changes a little bit. In New York State, though? Does that, I don't does, think does you discount the. I don't think you discount the power of um, Fox News and his, you know, frequent appearances there. And I yeah. also don't think you discount him as a politician. I think he's yeah. pretty savvy. Yeah. I really do. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if he's even, you know, throwing out these feelers out there, he thinks he's got a shot. I don't know. You know, I I wouldn't just. I mean, it might seem sort of incredible to us, but I think that, um, you know, he, he thinks he's got a shot at it. And I would say that he probably does if he's, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to put his career in Congress on the line for this unless he he, thinks he's got it. And I think he can't run for both. So that'll be interesting. That's right. So, and I think locally, there are a lot of people that are really happy that he's running who, you know, who who, uh, see that, you know, have an open seat instead of an incumbent and uh, Jesse Garcia, that's no problem, he says. He, he, right. <laughs> so we'll see what happens, but it could be a boon to uh, local Democrats anyway. Uh, in yeah, the congressional you, district. Yeah, the, the thing also is that you have to look at the Cuomo factor uh, really wounded. Um, you know, his own party is revolting against him. It's going to be a fractured Democratic Party. And mm-hmm. Zeldin runs on good government and, you know, honesty in the American way. Um against Cuomo, who is really wounded. So I think he might have a shot. Bill, if if Lee Zeldin chooses to run for governor instead of running for re-election in the first district, boy, does that open up a, a, a wide open field for the first district seat. Um, I wonder who on both sides of the aisle might step forward to, to try and run. I think we'll be hearing in the next couple of weeks who those people might be as they start <laughs> to put out feelings. Sure. There's, the a, there's a lot election. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of names. I don't want to say any names now. I don't know who would be thinking about it, but it would be interesting to see if, if, if you could pull that position back to the, to the democratic party, Tim Bishop had it, you know, for, for so long. Um, but, but, you know, as, as Beth pointed out, it, it's a heavily, um, you know, Brookhaven, Western, Western part of the district, um, you know, controls that seat. Yeah, um, but, but Beth, it, it's a it's an unusual district because it's swung back and forth. I mean, Tim Bishop really was as liberal uh, a Democrat as as you you could probably find, yeah. and and he represented the district for several terms. Yeah, Tim, and, and, and it came from really the East surprising. End. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and came from the East yeah, End. I think that's the other thing. Yeah. I think Tim Bishop's first election was 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 almost a surprise. There was some uh, he it was. Um, there, there was some surprise there that, that he actually got elected and there was some political, you know, wrangling that, um, and, and his name is, is um, Grucci. He's running. Grucci, Grucci yeah. And Grucci had made Grucci, some, yes. some, some missteps perhaps. In, I think Grucci you know, helped him a lot. <laughs> right, Grucci helped him a lot in that campaign. And, and I think once he got into office, then it was all about constituent services and building those constituent service with, with the veterans groups and, you know, and, and all that. And that helped him to get 
reelected and reelected a couple of times. And then it was fireworks that brought him down. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ironically enough, uh, that, that's that's an that's a great, great tale of how that all happened. Denise, the other thing that's, that's interesting is that in the next two years, when when, you know, it's this is the time period we're talking about for uh, both of these races. Wow. This is going to be a, a political uh, theater in evolution. I have no idea what politics are going to do in the next year or two. I feel like things are very much in flux and, and that comes into play with both of these, both the governor's race and, and the local race. Absolutely. I, I don't, also don't think that we can just count on Cuomo being the democratic candidate for governor that Zelda is going to have right. to unseat. I mean, I, you know, um, it just every day there's more bad news for this administration. And uh, the reports in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal last night about how these uh, the, the July report from the, by the DOH got uh, edited and altered by high level Cuomo aides, including Melissa DeRosa, um, that was really disturbing stuff. So, I mean, he I feel like he's kind of hanging on by his fingernails at mm -hmm. this point. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Just, you know, we need a few more uh aides to the governor or a few more staffers to come forward. And I think he's totally, you know, sunk. But and it's it's yeah, interesting, Denise, because we can vouch for the absence of uh, nursing home information uh, mm -hmm. throughout this crisis, because I think all of us were trying to get that information. And we were talking among ourselves about how much difficulty we were having getting any information about nursing home deaths that was clear. Uh, so we had a little, a little inside uh, track to, to seeing an issue there early in this crisis and throughout. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, to my knowledge, they still have never come out with stati statistics about nursing infections in nursing homes. Right. I mean, did I miss that? Mm -hmm. They, they came, you know, they allowed the information against their will to come out about the deaths among nursing home residents. Um, and they're still clinging to this while well, we were we were verifying things, uh, you know, I mean, even last night, the governor's uh, the spokesperson for the health department and the, the counsel to the governor, um, you know, issued statements saying saying exactly that. Well, you know, we didn't want to include that information in the July report because it was still being verified. Yeah. So, and nursing homes know. are still a problem. I mean, staffing in yeah. nursing homes is done by so many per diem people who work so many different places and it's not their fault. And um, nobody so much of this, that. So much of this it is the old saw about the cover up being worse than the crime. I think clearly mm -hmm. this is all the governor made a decision in the midst of the crisis about sending patients uh, to nursing homes that following following federal guidelines. Yeah. And, and it was it was the the. You know, there were basically a, just a lot of bad choices to make. He made a choice. I think it ended up in retrospect not being the right one. Uh, I think that it's interesting to me. I think he might have been forgiven for that, but trying to cover it up uh, just ends up making it all look worse. And that's uh, yeah. a know, lesson so I wish I think, politicians would learn. I mean, <laughs> I think the key, thing, the key thing is that they made the choice to exclude people who died in hospitals because it's very clear in retrospect, um, they thought that made them look better. Right. You know what I mean? Like that was the reason behind that choice. And, yeah. you know, yeah. yes, it was federal guidelines and yes, but they like, but the, the offense here is that they, they played with the data, really. You know, they Absolutely. played with those numbers to make themselves look better. Um, and also to hide think, the, the bad choice with the nursing homes, too, I think. Yeah. I, I think it was okay. all part and parcel. Yeah. I think yeah. Ambrose? 
I think it also comes down to another old saw about, you know, character is fate. Um, he has no friends. Um, he has no friends in his, in, within his party. And so when. Yeah, but he's dating, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's getting hit from all sides. And everybody, That's right. He's so uh, lonely. I'll wait, the, I'll wait for the investigation to have the thoroughness. You know, I, I talked to Fred Thiel about this and, you know, he said, well, We'll wait for the investigation, blah, 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 instead of saying, uh, you know, he's done wonders for the state and other things. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that yeah, I think it's true. It's It's been a remarkable change of uh, change, of course, for the governor in the last uh, just in the last month or two. No question. This is behind the headlines. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw of the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton of the Express News Group. Uh, with us today, Ambrose Clancy of the Shelter Island Reporter, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Uh, they are teaching me how to say aqueduct. Right? <laughs> Did I get it right that time? That was perfect. Aqueduct. All right. I got to work on that. I also say Thanksgiving weird, apparently. Thanksgiving, I think I say in... Anyway, so uh, Beth, uh, the Suffolk County this week uh, did uh, something that's uh, important in a in a big way for a, for a regional industry uh, in in trying to keep the shellfish population healthy. What what Suffolk County do? Well, um, there's been uh, I guess more than ten years ago now. Uh, the state ceded a bunch of underwater lands in Gardner's and Peconic Bays to um, Suffolk County to let them run and uh, allow it to be leased to shellfish farmers. Um, and the thing with um, oyster farmers in particular is um, what they do as far as aquaculture goes, it's all... Um, no, wait, is it aquaculture or aquaculture? This is this seems related. Yeah. I feel like this is important to get, yeah. to get right. <laughs> what did I say? Because I don't even know. <laughs> Whatever you said was probably right. You went with a flat A, I think. <laughs> well, I guess if you're in New York, it should be aqua. Okay, we'll go with aqua. That's how they would do it in <laughs> Italian. <laughs> aquaculture um and the thing is like when you when you hear about aquaculture in a lot of places um you think like fish farms and they're pouring antibiotics in the water and all this horrible stuff and what the oyster farmers do is they basically just place oysters that are raised in a hatchery in the water column they're filtering the water they they don't use any food they don't put anything in there they just basically keep them in cages <laughs> to protect them from predators and um then they take them to market um, it's actually beneficial for the for the uh water quality because they're filter feeders correct? absolutely they filter i think each oyster filters 50 gallons of water a day i believe i wow. could be wrong um so when you think about what that can i mean even if you don't eat oysters or you can't eat oysters if they're out there they're helping you um because they're filtering the water in the bay so this program the, uh the total number of acreage i believe that was the that was available was about one hundred and seventeen thousand acres but there's that they're only farming like 600 acres they add 10 acres to the they had 60 acres to the program each year mm. um but this, as it's become more prevalent, and as the oyster, some of the oyster farmers have found that they grow better in floating gear, which is higher up in the water column. It's created conflicts with some other bay users, um, and a lot of um, a lot of yacht clubs have gotten on board lately, saying, "Hey, this is interfering with our sailing programs." Uh, so it's mm. become almost like a class warfare kind of issue. 
Um, so the, the program was up for a 10 year review, uh, which started in 2018. They finished their, um, they finished their review in December and started holding public hearings and they were very, very contentious and very like hours long each time. A lot of people coming forward on the part of the industry. These are people who've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars, started, you know, a business on leased, le leased land that could be taken away from them, uh, invested their life savings in this sort of thing. And they're, they're dealing with, you know, the, the navigation conflicts are a very recent development. Mm -hmm. um, so the state, the, the county has put a lot more oversight into the program. There's a local review board before they in each community before they can grant new leases. Um, but it's an industry that's really exploded, and um, they finally put another 10-year plan in place. They've capped the total number of new acres at 600 over the next 10 years, so it'll be like the same amount it was in the past 10 years. Uh, a lot of the farmers kind of thought, well, that's a drop in the bucket, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I, I want to, Ambrose, just to, to hit on the point, this is really important to the region for two reasons. It's about the the shellfish industry and uh, the baymen who are basically disappearing and struggling to even keep us keep uh, keep a, a livelihood going because the shellfish population is in decline. But it's also about water quality and and th this this is a uh, this carries a double benefit uh, for the region. Oh, absolutely, and uh, yeah, the last. Um scallop season was a, a total disaster. Um, yeah. there, there just weren't any scallops there. Um, and, um, you know, the bay men and bay women, it, it's, a, it's a dying breed. There, there just aren't a lot of them anymore. Um, but as Beth was saying, uh, describing this program, it's, it's a, an absolutely brilliant program. Win-win-win uh, all the way uh, for water quality and, you know, to keep, keep this tradition going um so we're gonna we're gonna have to see how it works and denise it's it's not just about keeping the baymen in business this is a an industry that's just crucial for the region in general correct yeah i, I mean you know the whole fishing industry whether it's you know oyster oyster fisheries or you know any of them it's 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 they're struggling big time and um you know, we can't afford to lose another one. I don't think. I mean, the lobster, the lobster uh, just went down the tubes. You know, they're, they yeah. basically don't exist anymore. And there's no more. They moved to me. Mm -hmm. okay. all, um, all the lobsters relocated. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, if we don't hang on to the things that we can or, tr or work to try to hang on to them and revive them, um, you know, what's left of that uniquely East End um industry for long island really i mean uh you know it's sad Qual um, quality of life it's three words yeah. that people throw around all the yeah. time and i feel like that's that's a big part of the quality of life here no question oysters are very forgiving they're they're one of the most forgiving shellfish to grow they, uh, less to scallops less so correct I mean, oh, scallops, scallops are very fickle very fickle and and as as ambrose said it was it was just a, a devastating uh two years actually our our last two harvests were almost non-existent um look forward to, to seeing a rebound there um fingers crossed have, have they have they definitively concluded what caused the, the problem with the scallops i know that there were 
a couple of different theories, but I'm not sure that anybody knows for sure. There um, hasn't you know, been money to really study it the way they want to. And COVID kind of overtook that in a way. Of- I think it ended up being uh, some type of a natural, uh, some type of a, of a, of a um, pathogen that was worsened by the water conditions, but it, I think it just, that was a theory, but I don't know that they ever, uh, that, yeah. Steve Tettelbeck, I believe the, the latest I spoke to him, he's the, the head of the Peconic Bay scallop restoration program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last I heard from him, he said, this is the parasite, uh, warm waters at the time they were spawning, which led to, um, some, I believe some hypoxic <clears throat> low oxygen conditions at that time. And also the, there's a, Ray that mm-hmm. cow knows Ray that actually has been blamed for a lot of problems with shellfish in the Chesapeake. Now there are a lot of people who are big fans of the rays as well. So, but it ended up in bay waters for the first time ever and may yeah. have been a predator that uh, the scallops didn't have before. So it's just a, a perfect storm of issues that, that really decimated, literally mm-hmm. decimated the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the season for two, two years. Yeah. They're moving North too. Everyone's moving yep. North. Absolutely. <laughs> Cold, colder water, uh, right? Everyone's moving to the North Fork, too. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, I didn't want to, to let this, <laughs> this session pass without a, a nod towards sports. Um, some of the, the all, uh, all the local districts now uh, are getting ready for a fall sports season in the spring. Um, they're going to head outside and they're going to take up some of the, the, uh, the different sports that were put on hold because of COVID in the fall. Um, this is, uh, this is a step towards normalcy, isn't it? It, it, it seems to be, I, I think, okay. So they, they just finished the, the winter high risk season and they're moving into the fall and spring high risk season. We keep need, we keep need to, we need to keep doing air quotes when we say fall season, cause it's, it's going to start on, uh, on Monday, I believe. But, but the, uh, you know, the results from the experiment of doing the high-risk sports this past season, the, the winter speed season, which was, um, you know, basketball, um, um, you know, basketball cheerleading, that, that type of wrestling, thing. wrestling, uh, rest, that went really well. I mean, everybody said, oh, my God, wrestling. Um, how can you do wrestling? And, and there were very few, um, if any, um, transmissions with the wrestling, because I think the wrestling is, was argued we had a story Kaylin Riley wrote a story this week in the sports section about West Hampton Beach had had absolutely no positive tests with the wrestling because wrestling may be more suited for social distancing it's not two teams coming together on one court it's one-on-one one-on-one you know one competitor against the other competitor on the mat at the time the the teams were they, they took one wrestler who would spar against another wrestler on the same team for the whole season. So there was no practicing with, with other students. Those two students sat together on the bus um, and, and stayed together. Um, so so there, it was more apt to, you know, to, to be protected. So moving into this new season, I think everybody is um, saying, you know, we did well with, with the last season. We can do a little better with this season. It's going to include spectators for the first time. Um, each I, each student athlete is going to be allowed in, I think, most of the districts to bring in two spectators, um, maybe parents or, or somebody else that would get passes to, to be able to come in. So that's a step forward. That's a step back to normalcy. Um, 
Yeah, and, and you're going to see football. You're going to see seniors who wanted their senior football year. They're going to get to play. Um, there's some some concern about volleyball. Volleyball is included, but, you know, the concern is that those guys, that's going to be indoor, um, where the other sports are going to be outdoor, football, cross country, and a couple other sports. They're going to be mostly outdoor, which they feel is a little safer than the volleyball indoor. But, yeah, it's, it's moving forward. That's what I wanted to add, Denise. That's the difference, I think, between fall and spring sports and the winter sports is the winter sports were all indoors. These are all outdoors. That is a big difference, at least as far as most of the school districts are concerned, correct? It, it would seem so. You know, obviously, that's a big difference in terms of transmission, right? Uh, everything mm -hmm. that they've told us so far. Um, we'll see what happens. Riverhead is uh, sitting out until the spring season because of the situation with the budget going down a couple of times. Um, and then they found money within the budget without, you know, affecting the tax levy to actually bring spring sports back. So um, we're not participating like there will be no football uh, season in Riverhead this year because of the budget. Um, and then we'll we'll field some um, some spring teams. So we'll see what happens. And hopefully and we Bethy, won't be in the midst of another surge. <laughs> Beth, Beth, even even Pearson, um, which was one of the lone holdouts for the winter sports season uh, has given the green light for quote unquote, high risk sports outdoors uh, for sp the spring and fall seasons coming up here. Excellent. Yeah. It's good I, stuff. I think the, the argument is that the, the, the uh, you know, the COVID numbers are back down again a little bit to, to where they, I guess they're at November levels right now in, in Pearson, which had dramatically um, um, declined to to play basketball or or to field wrestling, um, you know the the last this past season, the last couple of months, um, has has now acquiesced and said because the numbers are down, um, and because the you know the season seemed to go so well for the other schools that that they will in fact um, you know play football and these other sports in the. Um, fall season i did air and, <laughs> and more yeah, air quotes <laughs> ambrose in the background of this whole conversation is the fact that the schools in general there hasn't been a lot of transmission within schools and and i think that may be part of the equation here in saying it may be safer to start to lift some of the restrictions with with the sports i think you're right uh and on shelter island um this you know this academic year, the school has been open uh, and there have been, they shut the school a couple of days when a staff member tested positive. I think two, mm -hmm. two staff members tested positive. They closed it for a day, did the heavy cleaning. But they also did um, all the due diligence of installing, you know, state-of-the-art filtration systems. And it, you're right, there has been um, very, very few uh, positive tests. And on the sporting scene, the island is really geared up for volleyball, which uh, we don't have football, but volleyball is a big sport on the island. And the teams have always uh, punched way above their weight. Mm. To, uh, a great coach, a shout out to Cindy Belt, who has uh, been a remarkable coach. Uh, so, yeah, everybody's up for for spring, fall, winter sports, whatever it is. <laughs> Was there any hesitation at all about uh, beginning the volleyball season or was, no. was Shelter Island 100% behind doing that yes. because of that? Yeah, people were, were really behind it uh, and the school as well was behind it. 
That's interesting. And Denise, it's, it's true that, that there have been outbreaks and there have been some incidents, but it's a lot of it has been outside of the school, uh, in the classrooms and such, there really hasn't been much, uh, many cases at all of transmission and, and the rare cases that there've been have really been dealt with very quickly, haven't they? It seems so. I mean, the, the, the system that they put in place with, you know, um, this is where it's worked, the contact tracing and um, quarantining, you know, I guess because it's in a closed environment. It's worked a lot better in the schools than in the general population in the community. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when there when there are cases, um, they do that. They do the contact tracing. They do the quarantining. And it seems like it's really contained the outbreak. Uh, had, I think, a couple hundred in Riverhead, all told, in the schools. My niece is a senior in Riverhead. She loves it. She's been quarantined twice. So I think for senior <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, we've, you know, we've, I mean, we've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. I think the school districts and the teachers uh, and the school boards and the administrators and the kids have all been remarkable through this crisis. And, and okay. it's... And I think it's going so well that, I mean, we've got stories this week from there's various school boards at West Hampton Beach, um, Bridgehampton Springs. They're all going back to in, in, in the next week or so. They're all going back to five day schedules, five day in-person learning for for students. I, I think there's some some caution there, you know, space wise. Some kids are going to have to, uh, you know, double mask and and it's going to the social distancing is going to go from six feet to four feet, but I think they're all prepared for that. And it's just, I think it just shows how confident the districts are and and how, um, you know, how well they're moving forward and numbers have come down again. So I'll get a little plug in here uh, that that is the topic, the return of uh, fall and spring sports seasons in the local districts is the topic of our podcast this week uh, at the express news group. Uh, It's called 27 speaks and you can find that podcast where you get podcasts or you can go to 27east.com uh, for a link to it. Uh, this is the time uh, where we start to wrap up by looking ahead uh, to the coming week. What uh, uh, Denise, let's, uh, Denise Civiletti of East End, I'm sorry, Riverhead Local, um, give, give me, give me uh, a story that you're working on for this week or looking ahead to. Well, I am. Um, well, first of all, they're doing a memorial at uh, Peconic Bay Medical Center for covid uh mm. a covid memorial on i think it's monday um so i think that will be a, you know that's definitely going to be an emotional um and very moving thing i think because uh the way the people who work there have really been impacted by um what they dealt with uh beginning this time last year um mm-hmm. we are um working on um, working on another nursing home story uh, with the with the covid uh, crisis in nursing homes and uh, speaking to some local administrators about what they went through and what they think uh, went wrong um, stay on that topic denise you were yeah. you've been you've been right on top of that all along and I think it's terrific so important um, no question Beth young of the East End Beacon what are you looking ahead to um, well, we have a, a, a really cool little feature this week. Um, the uh, North Fork Community Theater in Mattatuck had just finished this like massive, very enthusiastic renovation right before the uh, pandemic hit. And they were just getting ready for like, they were about to do the producers. They'd wanted to do the producers forever. And uh, so they've had to really innovate this year. And um, they're doing um, 
a virtual production of Clue in a couple of weeks and mm. uh, starting to think about the future again. So very good stuff. Yeah. Ambrose, we got about a, a minute or so. What's what's going on on the island on Shelter Island and what are you looking uh, to report in Shelter Island Reporter this week? Uh, we're looking at um, the uh progress of the comprehensive plan program. The, the island doesn't have a comprehensive plan, <clears throat> unlike almost every other municipality. They had one, they had a, uh, a big effort back in the 90s to put it together, but then they didn't act on it and the town board never acted on it. So this is a real big effort. Um, they And they're very motivated. They bring in, brought in consultants. Um, they have a councilman, Mike Bebon, who um, is the mover and shaker of this, along with a local islander, Edward Hinden, to really make it happen. They've, they've put out a survey. Uh, they're going to have what's called listening sessions. Uh, and so we're, we're following their progress, which is kind of an exciting idea. It's gotten some flack because of, of course, um, what it's costing. And mm -hmm. there are people, uh, islanders, who are saying, what's the point? This is money just thrown away. So it's an interesting idea. It's a meat and potatoes issue for, for us uh, as we cover the local communities, no question. So, so um, that will wrap this week. I want to thank uh, our panelists, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Ambrose Clancy of the Shelter Island Reporter. Thank you to Bill Sutton of the Express News Group, uh, my co-host. I'm Joe Shaw of the Express News Group. Uh, we will be back here next week going behind the headlines again. Thanks for joining us.